You're listening to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. Fellowship Baptist Church is located in Clark Lake, Michigan. Today, we have a special guest missionary with us. Let's prepare our hearts as our guest missionary brings forth God's truths from His Word today. It was a little interesting. Fortunately, we had another national or a missionary who'd lived there a long time. And uh, I mean, they got right in our face. And uh, it was it was intense there for a little bit. And I thought, this is all over but the shouting. But uh, God took care of us. Well, Brother Ben had his uh, uh, drone and he started flying it. And before long, we had about 200 people around us. I mean, and when I say around us, they get in your space. I mean, they're just up close and personal. And they said, you're looking for oil, you're looking for our, our natural resources. Because the Australians have done that in Australia, uh, from Australia, they've come up and stolen and done a lot of things. And so they thought we were doing that and we were trying to convince them. Ben's going, no, look at my phone, we're just looking, you know, we were trying to calm them down a little bit. But uh, uh, I understand mob rule can really take over a few times, but I appreciate it. I almost wish my wife was here to learn who she was married to uh, in that introduction. But uh, I appreciate it. Uh, I'm glad to be here. Of course, the age I'm getting, I'm glad to be anywhere right now. Amen. Uh, somebody says, how you doing? I'm upright and they're not kicking dirt on me yet, so I'm still going. Amen. But uh, it is a privilege to be here. I know this is mission conference. I'm getting to be an old man and I like to tell stories, but I want to preach. Okay, so maybe we can fellowship afterwards. I appreciate the hospitality. Uh, Brother Ben took me out to eat yesterday afternoon, and uh, we had a good time, just about got me killed. Anytime I'm with him, I about get killed. He about, uh, we were about blown off the road because of the storm. All of a sudden, he, we're, whoa, he goes, whoa, and his eyes got real big, and uh, we'd watch two vehicles go off the side and be uh, in the guardrail or whatever. And uh, then we get to the house, and uh, thank you so much. We have no power, amen. <laughs> Uh, but uh, thankfully they have a generator and uh, I don't want a preacher with no power. Amen. Uh, we want a preacher that has some power, but now nah, I was beautiful place to stay. Nice home. Uh, I didn't even ever turn the heater on last night. Didn't need it. It was just so comfortable. Uh, if I, and, uh, just enjoy it so much. The privilege to be here with you, you know, with this is mission conference. I was a pastor for, well, assistant pastor, three years, pastor in the U S for 12 years, then I pastored a church in Canada for 10 years, and we had mission conferences every year. And I just want to encourage you to be involved in missions. If, if, if a church isn't involved in evangelism, there's really no reason for the church to be there. Uh, and evangelism here and overseas. Uh, I believe with all my heart, we are all missionaries. Uh, many churches have a sign that goes on the front door when they walk out says you are now entering the mission field and believe it or not I'll probably preach one of these nights but we are sojourners this is not our home we're just a passing through we're here on assignment and our assignment is to tell people about Jesus Christ now you're going to be praying about what God would have you give through faith promise this next year can I give you four quick points just as a precursor to think about, I try to share them every time, how much you give this, this, this next year. And I always say, but this mission conference is really paying the power bill for around the world. It's paying the light bill. You're setting the budget 
as to what you want God to do through this church. How much you give will depend, number one, on your willingness to be led by the Holy Spirit of God. Do you believe God can lead you? Do you believe God can speak to your heart? I believe that with all my heart, but so many times we're broadcasting when we ought to be tuning in. Amen? And uh, this room right now is filled with words. It's filled with pictures. You say, no, that preacher's crazy up there. No. The fact is we don't have a radio up here to tune it in. We don't have a television. Now, I grew up in the old days. I was the baby in the family, so I was the one sent up with the rabbit ears to put the aluminum foil on it to get the picture. You remember what those were like, some of us do, to try to, you know, hold it right there. And I'd say, can I come sit? No, hold it. If you move, it quits, you know. And uh, uh, if we had an old TV with the, the rabbit ears, we'd get pictures. They're here. We just don't have the tuner. God speaks to his children all the time. But we've got to be tuned in. Too many times we're brought here. So number one, our willingness to be led by the Holy Spirit. Number two, your realization of the need. And I hope and pray that you will begin to see through the missionaries that come that there is a tremendous need in the world. There's a need right here where you are, but there's a need around the world too. And we have a go obligation to all that. Number three, your giving will be determined by your interest in the church program. I'm a local church missionary. I believe in the local church. God's promised the perpetuation of the local church. And I think everything should be in and done through the local New Testament church. I'm sent by a local church. Now, I work with Baptist International Missions. We're an assistance, but my sending agent is my home local church where I go. And I am in, and your interest in the church program will determine how much you want to give. Don't be a lone ranger. Don't be out on your own trying to get the glory. Invest in the place that is feeding you. Uh, we go out to eat sometimes. Could you imagine going out to eat in a restaurant, eating a beautiful meal, and then saying, but I'm sorry, I'm going across the street to pay. They look at you, no, you're not. And I say, oh, yeah, no, no, no. Uh, but why? You, you, you invest in where you're fed. And I, I believe your interest in this church program. And then fourthly, and I'll say these again. You don't have to have them all right now. But it's equal sacrifice, not necessarily equal giving or equal gifts. Equal sacrifice. All of us are different. Now, I know our government says all men created equal, but I hate to tell you this. That's just not true. We're all different, every one of us. Now, we should have equal opportunities, but we're not all equal. If that be true, we'd be communist. But uh, 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 our budgets, our bank accounts, our, all those things are different. Our upbringing. I always hear people say, well, I grew up in a, a dysfunctional home. Can I tell you something? We all did in one way or another. Why? Because we're all sinners. And we all have trouble that we go through and so forth. But I pray that it's equal sacrifice, not so much equal gifts. All right. If you have your Bibles this morning, turn to Mark chapter 14. I'm going to take a little bit more time today just reading some scripture because I want to lay a foundation for where we're going in Mark or Matthew chapter 14. You know this story. It's called the feeding of the 5,000. Most of us have heard it most of our life if you've been in church. 
Matthew 14, 14, the Bible says, And Jesus went forth and saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion toward them, and he healed their sick. When it was evening, his disciples came to him saying, This is a desert place, and the time is now past. Send the multitude away that they may go into the villages and buy themselves victuals. But Jesus said unto them, They need not depart. Give ye them to eat. And they say unto him, We have here but five loaves and two fishes. And he said, Bring them hither to me. And he commanded the multitude to sit down on the grass and took the five loaves and the two fishes. And looking up to heaven, he blessed and break and gave the loaves to his disciples and the disciples to the multitude. And they did all eat and were filled. And they looked, uh, they took up the fragments that remained, 12 basketfuls. And they that had eaten were about 5,000 men besides women and children. Now turn to Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6 and verse 34, the Bible says, And Jesus, when he came out, saw much people and was moved with compassion toward them, because they were as sheep not having a shepherd, and he began to teach them many things. And when the day was now far spent, his disciples came unto him and said, This is a desert place, and now the time is far past. Send them away that they may go into the country round about into the villages and buy themselves bread, for they have nothing to eat. And he answered and said unto them, Give ye them to eat. And they say unto him, Shall we go and buy two hundred pennyworth of bread and give them to eat? And he saith unto them, How many loaves have you? Go and see. And when they knew, they say, Five and two fishes. And he commanded them to make all sit down by companies upon the green grass. And they sat down in ranks about hundreds and by fifties. And when he had taken the five loaves and the two fishes, he looked up to heaven, blessed and break the loaves, and gave them to the disciples to set before them. And the two fishes divided he among them all. And they all did eat and were filled. And they took up twelve baskets full of the fragments of the fishes. And they that did eat of the loaves were about five thousand men. Now Luke chapter 9. I know I'm reading a lot, but I want to show you something. Luke chapter 9, <coughs> verse number 10. And the apostle, when they were returned, told him all that they had done, and he took them, and he went aside privately into a desert place belonging to the city called Bethsaida. And the people, when they knew it, followed him, and he received them, and spake unto them of the kingdom of God, and healed them that had need of healing. And when the day began to wear away, then came the twelve and said unto him, Send the multitude away that they may go into the towns and country round about, lodge and get victuals, for we are here in a desert place. But he said unto them, Give ye them to eat. And they said, We have no more but five loaves and two fishes, except ye would go and buy meat for all this people. And they were about five thousand men, and he said unto his disciples, Make them sit down by fifties in a company. And they did so and made them all sit down. And he took the five loaves and the two fishes and looking up to heaven, he blessed them and break them and gave the disciples that set before them the multitude. And he did eat and were all filled. And they did eat and were all filled. And there were taken up of the fragments that remained to them, 12 basket. One more time, John chapter 6, please. John chapter 6. <coughs> When Jesus, verse 5, when Jesus then lifted up his eyes and saw a great company come unto him, he saith unto Philip, 
When shall we buy bread that these may eat? And this he said to prove him, for himself knew what he would do. Please note that verse. For this him he said to prove him, for he himself knew what he would do. And Philip answered, 200 penny worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may take a little. And one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, saith unto him, There's a lad here which hath five barley loaves and two small fishes, but what are they among so many? And Jesus said, Make the men sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down in number about 5,000. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed to the disciples, and the disciples to them that were set down, and likewise to the fishes as much as they would. And when they were filled, he said unto the disciples, Gather up the fragments that remain, that nothing be lost. Therefore they gathered them together and filled twelve baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves, which remain over and above unto them that had eaten. Father, help me now as I preach. Help my voice, please, not to be a distraction. In Jesus' name, amen. We've re taken the time to read four different accounts of the exact same miracle. By the way, this is the only miracle in the Bible that is mentioned in all four of the Gospels. All the, all gospels, the gospels give different aspects. Matthew, we see him as the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That's why we have the genealogy of his, his kingship through the, the kingdom of David. In Mark, we see him as the suffering servant. There is no genealogy in the book of Mark because you don't care about the genealogy of a slave, of a servant. In Luke, Dr. Luke writes it, and we see the genealogy of, through Mary, his humanness. He's a doctor. We see him as the son of man, the perfect man. But then in John, we see him as the son of God. And in there, we do have the genealogy. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We see the genealogy of his deity. But in all these Gospels, each one of them tell us a little different aspect of the life of the Lord Jesus. If for some reason there was to be an accident out here on the highway, and we were just getting out of church and we saw it, Praise the Lord, it'd be none of us because we're watching it, amen? But somebody has an accident. If you're an uh, auto body man down in Australia and in Papua New Guinea, we call them panel beaters because they beat on the panels. But anyway, if you were a, a, an auto body man, you would look out and say, wow, that totaled. Look, the airbags went. That totaled that car. It's history. If you were a nurse or a doctor, you'd sit and say, wow. Somebody was hurting there. We need to make sure we get over there and take care of them. They've been hurt there. If you were an insurance agent, you'd say, his, his, they're going up in price. All right? If, if you were a policeman, you'd sit and say, it was that guy's fault right over there. Now, you all saw the same wreck, right? But because of our backgrounds, we see it from a little different aspect with a little different emphasis because of our... And that's the same way the Gospels are written. They're all the same events, but God gives us different aspects from the viewpoint of the disciple that wrote that book. Now, when God took the time to put the very same message, same story, in all four of the Gospels, there must be a reason for that. Because God doesn't do something because he doesn't know what to say. Now, I do that. I'll be preaching here in a little bit, and my mind will just leave me. All right, something will happen in my mind and I will start fishing for the word. 
that I'm supposed to say, or I'll start to tell a story and say, why did I start that story? What does it have to do with this? You know what I mean? And so sometimes we repeat. Hi, have you ever watched at a baptismal service? I don't know how you guys do it here, but our church I grew up in, We'd have the service. Pastor Sam going to baptize. Song leader would come. He'd start leading songs. Pastor's getting ready to baptize. Nope, not ready yet. Keep singing. Keep singing. Not ready yet. Keep singing. Well, we're filling time, right? All right? God doesn't do things because he needs to fill up room in the Bible. If God says it, he does it for emphasis. When I was growing up, my, I'm the baby of the family. My, I have two older sisters. They didn't want a brother. They wanted a sister. They told my mom when I was born, send him back to the Indians. We don't want him anymore, you know. And and they and, and so they they started calling me brother as a name of derision, and then they'd call me brother uh, because that's just the way they would say it. And it eventually became brud. And so my mom, even though she's now passed away for years, even when she was 92 and I was in my 60s, she'd say, "Brud, come here." I was brud. All right, that's just what I was called. And uh, uh, if my mom said, hey, Brad, come here, she was calling me, but I sometimes would ignore it. Now, this is not good parenting right now, okay? Don't take this as parenting, but I kind of ignore it sometimes. Then she'd say, Alan Brooks, get in here. Uh, she's beginning to get serious, okay? But not quite there yet, all right? But if she said, Alan G. Brooks III, get in here. She just said it for emphasis. Amen? And I better get moving real quick. Now, in parenting, they ought to respond on the first time. Amen? But let's just face it. We have an Adamic nature. We don't always do that. But if God took the time to put something in the Bible four times, there ought to be something we ought to learn by it. Now, I don't know everything God has to say about this, but I think I can give you a few things. First thing I want you to realize, the Bible says they were in a desert place. Now, this wasn't the Mojave Desert, the Sahara Desert, because other verses had told us there was a lot of grass there. What this means, it was a rural environment. It wasn't an urban environment. And when it, it, they were out in a, on a hillside someplace, away from the town, away from restaurants away from grocery stores there was nothing out there for them to really go buy food there was no no little uh, uh places no pick a packs or wag bags or no burger kings or no uh, uh, mcdonald's thank god for no mcdonald's you know i i think personally more missionaries are dying of the dollar menu at mcdonald's than any other thing in the world <laughs> Uh, but uh, 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 there was nothing out there to get food and so forth. So it was a desert place. Number two, it says it was the declining part of the day. That it was almost nighttime. It was getting late. And he says, send them away. We don't have any food. It's the declining part of the day. Number three, there was a multitude there. Now, the Bible tells us there were 5,000 men. Now, ladies, please don't get upset with me. But cultures are totally different. If I was in Papua New Guinea, all the ladies would be on this side of the room and all the men would be on this side of the room. That's just culture, all right? And that when God counted them, he didn't count all the ladies. Now, that didn't, didn't mean anything, but he just counted the men. So most likely, because it, one of the verses we read said 5,000 men besides women and children. Most commentators tell us that when Jesus fed what we call the feeding of the 5,000, it was much bigger than what even we think it was. 
If there's 5,000 people, at, or 5,000 men at a religious organizational meeting, there's generally more ladies than there are men. Can I get an amen? Sadly, but there's generally more ladies. And you know what's on the skirt tail of almost every lady that comes to church. A couple of little children, all right? Most commentators tell us that by estimate, it was twenty to 25,000 people at bare minimum that were on that hillside that day when Jesus fed what we call the feeding of the 5,000. Multitude of people, declining part of the day, and a wilderness place. Can I make some spiritual applications? Number one, most of the world today lives in a desert or a wilderness as far as the gospel of Jesus Christ is concerned. I took the radio yesterday, pastor gave me a car, I hit the search or the seek button just to listen to him. Now, I'm not going to say I agreed with every one of them, but I could find Christian radio stations. I could find somebody preaching. I passed, I remember I was preaching one time in the city. I walked up to the front sitting up there, an old gentleman, he toddled up across, a little cane, and he looked up at me and said, preacher, you better be good. I passed 14 churches to get here. I wonder how many you passed today to get here. And most of the world, it's not that way. It's a wilderness as far as the gospel is concerned. There's not places to go to hear the gospel preaching message. A wilderness. Number two, it is the declining part of our day. Whether we realize it, or realize it or not, I believe our Lord is soon to return. I believe the mighty angel has gone taking the trumpet off the wall. If you've ever played an instrument, you know what I'm talking about. He's blown it out. He said, Lord, now, no, not quite yet. My bride's not ready. Lord, now, not quite ready. The bride's not quite ready. Hey, that last person may get saved today. And Jesus said, go ahead, blow that trumpet. It could happen today. Oh, I always get tickled. We talk about Generation X. Then there's Y. Where's Z? I mean, we're, I never remember A and B, you know, much less all the rest of them. But, I mean, we're talking about, they say the atomic uh, clock, if they will, is 11.59 right now for the world. Something's got to happen. A little illustration. When I was a boy, and I'm a little older than most of you in this room, not everybody, but when I got my first job, I worked for the Daily Pantograph, which is the newspaper in Normal, Illinois. I was supposed to be 12, but I lied and got in about nine years old to get a job because I wanted to make money. And he knew I was lying, called my mama and said, he was, you know, your son came down here and lied to me. But uh, I didn't know any better, and she, he gave me the job. But I had to go down and get my Social Security card. Remember doing that as a young man? You had to get it to get your first job. because, And my Social Security card says on the bottom, not to be used for identification. Now, isn't that a hoot? You know? And uh, uh, now, uh, the lady that just had the baby, uh, before she leaves the hospital, her baby will have that Social Security number if she plans on using it as a deduction. Now, now, if you'll get the newest, if you look at your children's Social Security cards, the back of it says, this Social Security card is the property of the Social Security Administration and must be returned upon their request. They give you the privilege to have that number. You say, Brother Brooks, is that the mark of the beast? I haven't got a clue. I have no idea, but I know this much. If the sun was shining over here 
and there was a mountain right here, and I was standing here, I would be standing in the shadow of that mountain, would I not? If the S-O-N, his return, is right over here, and the mountain of the tribulation, which I do not believe the children of God go through, but we are at the bottom of that mountain, we are standing in the shadow of that. It could happen in a moment. It's the declining part of the day right now. And then also let me say, there's a multitude out there. They tell us over 7 billion people in the world. They tell us there's over 150 cities of over a million people that have absolutely no gospel message. The city of Mexico City is up to 20, uh, 25 million people and grows by 2,000 people a day. We think they're all coming to America. No, they're not. But it's growing in massive numbers. They tell us that 1,014 people die in India every, day, every hour. Excuse me. They tell us 1,827 people die every hour in China. But you know what? Police listen. We hear those numbers, and they're like water off a duck's back, are they not? I remember one time I was going to preach a revival meeting in Alabama, and I received a phone call. We were loading up the car, and the person said, can you get a hold of Darlene? Darlene's my sister-in-law. I said, yeah, why? I know where she is. She's at the ballpark running the concession stand for the softball games. She said, her husband, Don, has been in a wreck. We need to get a hold of her real bad. I quickly made some phone calls, couldn't get a hold of her. Finally, we got a hold of her, and her first words out of her mouth was, how's Jacob? And I didn't even know Jacob was with her daddy and when they had that wreck. I quickly realized, I called the hospital, I said, look, I'm the brother-in-law of uh, Don who came in, and uh, I'm also a preacher. Do I need to be at the hospital? How are they doing? I can't tell you any information. Oh, please, let me, please, just answer me this question. Should I be there? And she said, I would suggest you get here as quickly as you can. So my wife and I loaded, we raced down to Baptist Montclair, which is in Birmingham, Alabama. We raced into there. I got to, raced into the emergency room. I told my wife, you park the car. I'm going in the emergency room. But I was just a few moments behind Darlene. She walked into the, 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 the big doors opened up. And she walked in, and thankfully, there was a godly chaplain at the hospital, took her by the arms and said, Don's okay, but Jacob is dead. Four years old, used to stay at our house all the time, used to play our piano, just bang on it and say, don't I play good? He'd play Nintendo and say, I want Woshi, I want Woshi. He died. I had to take Darlene out. I'll never forget when she, he told her that, all I heard was, oh, just a, a, a moan and collapse. That weekend on the TV, they said on the highways of Alabama, seven people died this weekend on the highway. That was no longer a statistic. That was my little nephew. And I know we hear numbers. The World Trade Centers dropped, 3,000 people died. Most of us, it didn't affect because we didn't know one of individually. 240,000 people die in Indonesia during a tsunami that wipes them out. That's a terrible number, but it's just a number to most of us. 
because we didn't know one. But please understand this. For every individual, they were somebody's little boy, somebody's little girl that they held in their arms, just like you hold yours in yours arms. And just like you have all the dreams, hopes, and aspirations for them, they have for their children. They love them just as much as you do. They're not just a number. Remember when Jesus healed a blind man? I don't know why he did it, but he went down to it and made a little mud, put it on his eyes. When he put it on his eyes, he said, what do you see? He said, I see men as trees walking. We say the saying, I can't see the trees for the forest, right? Can't see the forest for the trees. But he said, I, I just see men as trees walking. Jesus touched him another time and he said, oh, I see all men clearly. Please listen to me. I believe with all my heart, we in our Baptist churches need to realize they're not just numbers. When we hear those statistics, they are individuals for whom Christ died and just as much blood to save you of Jesus it took to save them. They're people for whom Christ died. We need that second touch when we begin to see all men clearly instead of just as numbers. The multitude out there. But secondly, I show you the master. The Bible says, and Jesus was moved with compassion. Compassion is not an emotion. Pity is an emotion. Compassion is an action verb. I have people come to me in counseling when I was a pastor and say, oh, I, I never ask a young couple about to get married, do you love each other? That is an oxy. I mean, yeah, hello. Well, no, we hate each other, but we want to get married. No, they love each other. I always ask them, is it the will of God that you get married? Do you believe this is God's will for your life to be husband and wife together? Because there's going to come a time when his breath stinks, huh? and he throws everything down in the bathroom, and you're not in a good mood, and I've had couples say, well, I don't love each other. We don't love each other anymore. I said, oh, okay. Well, the Bible says husbands love your wives. Well, I don't. Well, the Bible says love your neighbor. Well, I, I don't care. She, she sleeps next to me, but I don't love her anymore. Well, then the Bible says love your enemies. I said, you can't get out of it. Amen. It's an action verb, just like compassion. We are to be moved with compassion. Pity says, oh, isn't that sad? Compassion, compassion moves us to do something. I was a long-haired hippie kid in the 1960s and 70s. I just, I was. Uh, I grew up, I had a 1960, this will get the men's attention, older ones. I had a 1966 Pontiac GTO, all right? I mean, I've got it on your spiritual level right now. I know it. But uh, I had uh, bought it used. Well, I bought it from a guy. I won't tell you his ethnicity, but he put shag carpet on the dash. And so I had to take all of that off. And, uh, and I put a new dash on the front of it. We had a, my dad worked at the prison. We had a trick paint job put on it. I went across the border to Mexico. When I lived in Arizona, put a diamond tuck and roll leather bucket seats in the thing. Had a hearse. Uh, four-speed slap shift, had Bort Warner four-speed, had 411 posi rear end gears. You know the picture. I loved it, all right? And, and, and I pulled up into church. I had an eight-track. We're getting to a generation that doesn't even know what a CD is now, much less an eight-track. You know, everything's digital. But I had an eight-track. 
And by the way, I loved my music. I worshipped my music. I played in a rock. I played in a rock band. Well, the drummer of that rock band is a pastor in Springfield, Illinois. The, one, the lead guitarist is now a deacon at Calvary Baptist in Normal, Illinois. So God changes people's lives. But uh, we all, I loved my music. I pulled up to church, got saved on Sunday morning. Came out back on Sunday night because they told me I was supposed to. I showed up on Sunday night to church, went into church, and somebody had broken in, stole all my eight-track rock and roll tapes out. <laughs> the sister of the boy that led me to Christ, Benny, said to me, he said, Alan, you ever thought God didn't want you to listen to it? And I, I said, okay. And I tell, can I tell you the ignorance of a new convert? I thought if, I had, if, I, if it was music that I liked, it was sinful. If I liked it, Okay. Because if, if I liked it, it had to be wrong. So my logic was, what's the music I hate more than anything else? So I started listening to country western, all right? And uh, it was a great day when I learned I didn't have to listen to either one of those, that there was good music out there. But my best friend, Benny Roberts, took me to church, set me in the second row from the front. Benny, I had moved from normal to Phoenix, Arizona, because my dad's emphysema and lung cancer. We tried to let him live longer. And... I didn't, Benny had gotten saved. I didn't know that. He sent me the second row from the front. Pastor Winninger preached that morning. I don't remember the specific message, but boy, do I remember the invitation. He said, every head bowed, every eye closed. If you, know, if you died today, do you know for sure you'd go to heaven? Raise your hand. Now, let me just confess. I've been raised in a denominational church where I never heard of an invitation in my life. I didn't know what those things were. I was going to watch every move that was made. And he said, if you know for sure, raise your hand. Benny put his hand up. Robin put his hand up right next to me, his brother, younger brother. I thought, how in the world do they know that? We toilet papered our algebra teacher's house together. And how can he know he's on his way to heaven? And then he said, if you don't know but you'd like to know, slip your hand up. I know now it's a conviction of the Holy Spirit, but I thought I was going to die on the second row from the front. I mean, my stomach started twisting in knots. The weight of sin got so heavy on me. And, and I finally thought, well, i got to have some relief. And I raised my hand. Four of us in a crowd of a thousand that morning raised their hand and said, we, I need to be saved. Pastor Winter said, God bless you, young man. I see that hand. Then he said something. I, again, I had no invitations. He said, we're going to stand. Choir's going to sing. I'm going to invite you to walk out front and come receive Christ. I thought, ain't no way in the world I'm walking in front of a thousand people to tell them I'm on my way to hell. You know, I, I mean, I'm, my mama didn't raise no dumb kid. I mean, uh, I'm not about to do that. I was a white knuckle. I was holding on to the, to the, the we had chairs at that time, in front of me. Well, they started to sing. Some folks, there were movement. I watched a little bit. Finally said, everybody heads bowed, eyes closed, choirs singing. And he walked out from behind that pulpit, walked to the second row and stuck his hand out and said, young man, wouldn't you like to? And I'll never forget. I said, yes, sir, I would. I was long haired, no good. He said, Benny, take him and show him how to be saved. Thank God he opened the wonderful words of life. And as an 18-year-old young man, I trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior. Got baptized the next Sunday. Called my mama. Mama, I've gotten saved. I've become a Christian. Oh, you've always been a Christian. I said, no, mama. And oh, she went to our, I'll tell you, Methodist preacher. He was so liberal, they kicked him out. So you know he was liberal. She went to our Methodist preacher and said, my son's got religion. What am I going to do? He's, he's becoming a Baptist, like, you know, the plague, leprosy or something. And he said, oh, don't worry. 
It's a fad. You know teenagers, you'll get over it in three weeks. Thank God it's been 48 years ago now, or 45 years ago now, that I trusted Christ as my Savior. God saved me. Hey, I'm saved today because somebody was moved with compassion. Somebody took that. I wouldn't have walked forward. I mean that. I probably would have never done that. But he moved. Jesus looked at him and he was moved with compassion. Also about Jesus, it said, that one verse I told you, remember, he said, this he said to prove them, for he knew what he would do. You know, God already knew what was going to happen there. When I first read that verse, I thought, or those verses, I thought, well, okay, guys, let's get together, have a deacon's meeting. Let's figure out what we ought to do in the future. You know what I mean? Let's have a board meeting. How are we going to feed? No, no. Jesus already had it planned in his mind. And you know what? There's no accident in the child of God's life. Only divine appointments. God knows where we are, what's going on in our life, and, and he can set the affairs to bring us to where we should be at the right time. They did this to prove them. Now let me set, go hasten on. We've seen the multitude. We've seen the master. Now let's see the means. How did he do it? He said, what do you got? He said, we got a lad here with five loaves and two small fishes. He said, give it to me. And see, you know how God does things? You just have to give what you have. Now, I, I, I listen to people sing, and I don't mean this wrong. God pity you. I can't sing, okay? I can't wait to heaven because I'm going to be in the front row of the heavenly choir. You guys that can sing here on earth, back row, bud. You know? I, I'll be singing in the car when we're driving down the road. My wife will tap on my knee and say, sweetheart, in heaven, in heaven. Uh, uh, I can't sing, all right? When I sing, heaven's flag is flown at half mask and the angels fold their wings, okay? But you know what? I may not be able to sing, and you may not be able to do either, but you can straighten chairs in a Sunday school class. You can change a diaper in a nursery. I think the best verse for the nursery is, they shall not all sleep, but they shall be changed, amen? <laughs> you can change a diaper. You can teach a Sunday school class of little children. You can invite a neighbor over for a cup of coffee and share Jesus Christ with them. You can, you can do what you, just give what you have. We're not all made alike. Aren't you glad? We're all different. And then Christ can take our little and make a whole lot out of it. He took five loaves and two small fishes and fed a multitude. If you'll give to God what you have. It was a widow's mite 2,000 years ago that was dropped in the offering plate. And we still hear the echo today of that widow's mite. It was, it was a, a little maid that God used to heal Naaman. It was a little manger in Bethlehem. It was a rod in Moses' hand. It was a jawbone in Samson's. It was a little sling in David's hand. And my church in Alabama had a little lady Mrs. Holmes, she probably, Frances Holmes, she probably stood about that tall, maybe weighed 90 pounds, soaking wet and full of bananas. Just a little bitty lady. And, but she faithfully taught Sunday school every Sunday. And every missionary that had ever come to our church, she had a flip chart, like a, a, a photo album of every missionary, and she'd share it with the children. Four and five-year-old children in Sunday school. Every one of them was impacted. One Sunday, I got a call early in church, before church. He said, Brother Brooks, I'm going to be a little late to Sunday school. The police are just leaving. I said, what? 
She said, yes, I'd taken all my stuff for Sunday school out to the car and put it all in. I had some gifts for the children and I went back in to get something and somebody came in and stole everything out of my car. Isn't that just like a thief? He goes and steals Sunday school material. Amen. But anyway, God's got that boy's number. But anyway, she said, the police have just left. I said, Miss Holmes, and she was almost 80 at this time. Her husband was an alcoholic. She faithful to church. I said, Miss Holmes, you don't worry about the class. My wife will take that for you today. Pastor Brooks, that's my Sunday school class. I said, yes, ma'am, but you just, I will be there. I'm just a little late. One time she called me and she was in the hospital. Now, please understand this. I'm going to give your, your pastor a little help. He can't read minds. He doesn't know you're in the hospital unless somebody tells him in your hospital. Okay. I didn't know she was in the hospital. She was, she said, oh, I'm having a little surgery. It was a kidney replacement. Hello, that's major surgery for an old person, for a young person too. But uh, I went to see her in the hospital. I said, Miss Holmes, she said, Brother Allen, I won't be there for Sunday for my Sunday school class. I've already got it set up to a cupboard, but would you, she would you hand me my Bible? And it was a little brown Bible. And she didn't even hardly ruffle the sheets of the bed she was laying in. And I handed her her Bible. She opened it up, and I'll never forget, she reached in and pulled out an offering envelope. And she said, Pastor, I can't be there Sunday, but I don't want our missionaries to do without. Please make sure that gets in the offering. Hey, she may never have been written up in the sword of the Lord. She's never made the cover of Christianity today. But she's made headlines in heaven because she took her little and God's made a lot out. She impacted every child that came through our church. If you'll give what you have, God will take it and bless it. Now, what's the method? He had them sit down orderly. I love that. God is not the author of confusion. Amen? He's had them sit down in 50s and 100 in, in the grass of place. He said, sit them down orderly. Now, you disciples, give me the bread. And he took the bread and he said, he blessed it and he broke it. And by the way, I don't know, this, I, I can't be dogmatic on this. But I believe with all my heart, anything God blesses, he also breaks. To help it to be what he wants it to be. But he blessed it and he broke it and he gave it to the disciples and the disciples took it to the, to the people. Now, I don't know where the miracle took place. I don't know if it was in the front every time he'd break the bread. I don't know if he, when he handed it to a disciple, that as the disciple turned to go someplace, all of a sudden it got bigger. I don't know where that exact miracle took place, but I know he took the bread, blessed it, break it, and handed it to the disciples. And the Bible says the disciples took it to the people. Jonathan Goforth was a great missionary in China of yesteryear from Canada. He gave an illustration called, Please Pass the Bread. In that illustration, he would have the men, the ushers, come up to the front. He would take bread. He would bless it, break it. He'd hand it to the ushers. And the ushers would take that bread and go up to the first aisles and give it to him. Well, they ran out of bread. They had to go back and get some more, amen? So they'd come back and get some more. And they'd pick up and they'd come back. But instead of going to the next row, they'd come right back to the same row again. And then he'd come back, get some more. And he'd come back and he'd come right back to that row again. Before long, he'd have somebody stand up back here. Hey, I'm India. Pass us the bread. Over here, somebody would say, I, I'm South America. Pass us the bread. 
you know as well as I do. Hospitality and politeness always serves someone else first. Oswald J. Smith said, why should anybody hear the gospel twice when they're those who've never heard it one time? Our job is to pass the bread. And if we've been given bread, our job's to pass it, to give it to others. And God worked, the means was he uses people. God always uses people. How do I pass the bread, preacher? Number one, you can do it through prayer. You may never get to go to Papua New Guinea, but you can go there every day on your knees. You may never get to go to the Philippines, but you can go there every day on your knees. I don't care where you are, you can go there in prayer. Number two, you can give. That's why we have faith promise. What we're doing here is trying to help pass the bread to those in the world. And that's why we emphasize the giving like this. Number three, we can get involved. I believe with all my heart the greatest thing any young person could ever do is take a mission trip. Get out of the comfort zone of the USA and see a third world country for what it is. Sleep on a floor. Eat the food. You know why I put milk in my tea when I drink hot tea? I learned a long time ago. I put sugar in it because I like sugar. I put a little sugar in it, then I put milk. You know why? Because the, the ants from the sugar float to the top and you can blow them across to the other side. <laughs> Amen? Why? Because that's just common. Most of us would say, ah, I'll never eat that. No, 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 no. You'll offend that person. That just served you that. So I've learned how to blow it to the other side. And, I can and sometimes we need the protein anyway. But, <laughs> but get involved. And then number three, maybe God's calling somebody to go to take the bread to the multitudes. Somebody has to do it. I share with this and I close with this. Several years ago, a letter came to me. It said, dear pastor, a very important issue. Your booklet, Going Home. By the way, that's a chick track is what it was was passed to me by a friend on the 28th May, and after reading it, I just got confused because I'd never heard before of any person called Jesus who can give eternal life. But before telling you my request, let me share with you the following shocking news. I and my three wives have the AIDS virus. My first wife died on 14th February, leaving behind two children. As I'm writing these words, I don't have any hope of living for six months ahead. I have a strong skin rash and big open wounds all over my body. I was told by my doctor that my days are now numbered. I have a sister who is also very sick of AIDS. Our family is gone. We don't have any hope, Pastor. In my village, people are dying like insects. My request, we don't want anything from you, but send us or come personally. Somebody who can teach us more about this man, Jesus, and this eternal life. You know we can die any time from today, but I've arranged on 24th June to send someone to meet you in the town of Bunwadi. If that person comes, or you personally, ask at Mr. Kenobi's store, and you shall find my messenger there to bring you to our village. There is not any preacher around here. The place is full of Muslims only. I'm the chief of this village, and I have invited a lot of people to come on the 25th June. I'm expecting the gathering to be around 500 people, so please make sure you do not fail. We prefer a person who knows Lingwadi or Zwahili languages to come, because those are the languages they can understand. Please, 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 come without fail or send a person with the word of God. 
And that's why I shall send this letter in advance. I have sent this letter in advance of two weeks. Signed, Minwabal Najoho, a dying man without hope. P.S. This letter is brought to you by hand through a friend who is determined to find you. This letter was actually received by Al Anderson out of Maranatha Baptist Mission serving in Uganda. Jeff Demaris out of First Baptist Milford. And Al Anderson went to that village, preached around 500 people. There were 120 salvation decisions and 70 followed the, believe, the Lord and believers baptism. But at, that present, at this present time, there is still no mission work in or near this village, which is a pygmy village on the Zaire border. What was this chief saying? Pass us the bread. Pass us the bread. In the quietness of this moment. Can you not hear the teeming multitudes, just like the Macedonian calls had come over and help us, saying, please, pass us the bread. Heavenly Father, thank you for the opportunity to share. I pray that we would begin to set the tone for this conference. And God, that we would have a burden to pass the bread, the bread of life, to those in need. Our heads are bowed and eyes are closed. If you're here today not saved, please, if you are like me, sitting here and not knowing for sure heaven's your home, I plead with you to trust Christ today. If God's spoken to your heart about your prayer life, God's spoken to your heart about your giving, or God wants you to get involved, do what God tells you to do. Pastor, would you come please, sir? You have been listening to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. We hope this message was a blessing and encouragement to you. If you would like more messages, visit our website at fbcclarklake.org, where all of our messages can be downloaded for free. Also, you can subscribe to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or SoundCloud. All of our messages are available for free. If you want to keep up to date on what's going on at Fellowship, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, where you can see what's happening happening at Fellowship Baptist Church. If you'd like to visit us, Fellowship Baptist Church is located at 3200 Reed Road, Clark Lake, Michigan. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope to see you back here again next time.